You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is Janice Legata, and this is God Has Not Given, an evangelical podcast featuring me and my failing faith and conversations with my friends and family. And this week is part two, a continuation of my conversation with my friend Ale. And because the knowledge that is about to be dropped could potentially be the beginning of the end of some things for some people, I'm going to issue a content warning right now. If you are part of a megachurch and you want to happily remain as you are, you might not want to listen to this episode. My granny used to say, if they knew better, they'd do better. And I think that's true. There is truly a certain kind of bliss to ignorance, but once you know better, you might have to go forward better. So ultimately, you may completely disagree with some of the conclusions Ale and I come to, but you won't be able to walk away without at least having to reconsider some things. So if you don't want to potentially rock your boat, sail on, my friend, sail on. But for those of you who are ready to be rocked, this ship is leaving now. I envy kind of their their ritual. Even the most basic Catholic, if you've gone through whatever these ceremonial things are, you at least knew this much at, at some point. Then you come to Christianity, especially the non-denoms, and there's nothing. There are no rituals. There are no certain standards you have to meet. There's no certain things you have to know. So then I'm fascinated. I'm like, how did we get to this place where not only are we like ceding our power to people, giving them the power to, to speak into our lives on such an authoritative level, but the people who are doing it are dum-dums. Like, I would not listen to you in any other sphere. But Janice, the ritual... There is a ritual. It's just not a ritual that it's, it's a set of rituals that we are taught. They're just a set of rituals that are subtly taught to us. The same way in which white supremacy is subtly taught to us. Think of it a little bit like the Hunger Games and the ways in which folks were brought up in that series of books. If you haven't read it, get it together. The rituals are there. It's a ritual of denying your body the information that it is telling you. It is a ritual of consistent self-deception, is of looking at what is there and saying it is not there. It is a ritual of detachment of the self and of detachment of community. At least the current manifestation of American Christianity. I do not feel like I can say the root of Christianity is that way or all of Christianity is that way because I feel like I don't know so much of it. And so I would I would be lying to myself to make such a statement. Maybe you could ask Joe instead. Um, but I, I feel like what American Christianity teaches us, which is what capitalism has taught us, is to... Look at what's in front of us at the ancestral knowledge of our bodies, of the fucking earth and the elements that are right here, right now, the information that they are telling us and to deny that information. And it's a 
practice a rehearsal of constant self-deception and a rehearsal of a constant relinquishing of our power over and over and over again, right? Over and over and over again. And so there are rituals. They're just rituals that if they were to tell us overtly what they were, no one would come. And so we call it something else. And so I agree and disagree with you because I do believe that American Christianity has nothing to do with God and everything to do with preserving white colonial power. It is the marketing firm of white supremacy. And it is a very good one. I mean, my organization is looking for a comp team. Whoever came up with this shit needs to join my team now because they clearly are very good. Please don't join my team. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? No, I get it. So I thought about it and it's like, how do we get here? How do we get here? And I'm like, well, it really makes sense. Even just in terms of American history, these, these men who wrote this constitution wrote about all people while enslaving people. And so like we as a society, we are trained, indoctrinated to overlook abuse, to empathize with abusers. If they were going to have a Christianity, it had to be one that would allow what they were doing. So of course we're here. And here's the kicker, here's the kicker. You know how we learn at church that the reason why Satan fell from grace or from hell, uh, sorry, from heaven, is because he wanted to imitate God, right? That's very uh, reductive. That's, that's the basic. Yeah, basics the, of the, that, what we learned. This is how the devil became the devil. Right. Imitation, right? Imitating mm -hmm. God. The Constitution of the United States stole its ideas of democracy from the Constitution of the Lenape Nations in what we currently call the state of New York, the Iroquois nation, which is a variety of nations. And I've recently learned that that term Iroquois is considered, it was actually like a prerogative term. They stole it and they tried to imitate it. Why do we have so many problems with churches as institutions and general nonprofits across the United States and businesses and entities? Why are these institutions so fucked? Because it is capitalism trying to make its own version of an ecosystem. It is trying to mimic the things that are good and usually in nature function well with a distorted purpose and end. Right. And so why doesn't it work? Because we keep stealing, we keep ignoring the knowledge of the body and of the earth, which is what we learned from indigeneity we call it something else, we repackage it, we rebrand it, it's like, you know, selling water bottles, you know? And, and, and then we do exactly, exactly what Satan did, but we've rebranded it something else. And so like, when I think about power, you know, and, and in, in the years of learning that I've been doing, and I, and I gotta just preface this, all of the things that I have learned, even actually the things that I learned when I was in the Spanish-speaking church that I 
that I love so dearly and I'm so angry at as well. The most influential people in my life and the things that I have learned and the knowledge that I have on, on the things that are good I have learned from Black women and Indigenous people. And I just want to say that because I, I have to say that out loud because even if it wasn't a Black woman that taught me the specific concept of one thing, whoever learned that thing got it from a book of a person that wrote it, that stole it from a Black person or an Indigenous person. I am certain of that. So I just want to say that. But when I think about power, right, when I think about power and what I've now through the years, as I try to define power for myself, to me, it's kind of like boiled down to a few words, knowledge, resource, choice, and scale. That is power. Knowledge, resource, choice, and scale. And the scale piece, is really, is really the thing that has the potential for the most harm. Right. But, but, you know, to me, having power means having information. And not just information in terms of facts. I'm talking about an understanding of how things work, how people work, how things come together, from where, where it started, what changes when you do X, you know, so we're talking about all these generations of wealth and why indigenous and black cultures have these deeply sustained practices of oration and the transference of knowledge from generation to generation. That's one way in which power is established, knowledge, mm -hmm. right? Wisdom. So not just information, a la the age of the internet, I have a lot of facts, so now I have power. No. How facts are used, right? Then there's resource. Time, money, land, right? Resource gives you power. Because resource then gives you choice. When you have knowledge and when you have resource, then you can choose what things have larger or less consequence on you with the exception of gravity and time and death and even recently we learned apparently gravity you can get rid of if you have a couple billion Ooh. so choice means what consequences do i have to experience like maybe i could still get an abortion and tell nobody because my daddy that's in this form of government can help me right or my children won't have to have these choices. They can have these other choices because of this access to knowledge or resource. Right? So choice plays a big part in power. The more power you have, the more choices you have. And those choices yeah. are connected to what consequences you will have to experience materially. Now, yeah. I, I, you know, before I came into the arts and I work in the arts, I was a physics nerd and I think I'll die a physics nerd even though I didn't quite get my head wrapped around enough calculus to pursue it as a career but one of the things that you can't undo is entropy entropy is my brother you started that it is not going to suddenly be taken back entropy is and there's no kind of like 
you know, the whole thing of like carbon positive neutral, like you can't buy your way out of the harm that you've caused in the earth, right? There's no number of trees that you could buy that will suddenly undo that thing. And so there are some consequences that we will all inevitably live. And I'm not going to list all of them, but some of them are just like death, for example. Yeah. And then there's scale, right? Like with power, depending on your knowledge, depending on your resource, depending on your choices, you will manage scale in a different way. And now we're moving away from just individual power to institutional power to systemic power, right? And how it manifests itself. Now, when I think about the church as the marketing branch of white supremacy, and when I think about the way in which capitalism has tried to mimic the knowledge and the wisdom of the earth ecosystem, right? When I think about scale, I think about how scale is probably the deadliest mechanism of capitalism. You know, slavery existed before the transatlantic slave trade. I mean, slavery, like prostitution, has existed since humans were around. Because for whatever reason, that's the kind of shit we do. We like to have sex, and we like to exert power over other people. It's just like a very foundational part of our animal species. Right. And the difference between slavery before the transatlantic slave trade and after was the scale. So much so that it has literally changed the entire course of history of every space on the surface of the earth that we are in today. Because the scale of that endeavor did what it did. And that is why the mega church is so harmful because of its scale, because of the scale of what it is attempting to do. When we look at the earth, the largest ecosystem that exists is the ocean, right? But even the ocean has various ecosystems within that, that you know, biome of ecosystems. Right. Capitalism wants to try so hard to mirror what only nature in its infinite wisdom has done. And it keeps creating in scale this harm, which is the same issue with the church. We know that biodiversity is what allows the whole earth to thrive. It is diversity is biodiversity is necessary for the survival of the earth as a planet as a living, livable planet. And so the mega church and the scale of capitalism and globalization inherently is against that. Like trying to work at a scale without honoring the interpersonal and the hyper-local and nourishing that, that is why that those network of connection are so weak and so sick because rather than redirecting the resources to nurturing those interpersonal and hyper-local connections, we are nurturing a mammoth entity 
that is just consuming resource and resource and resource. Again, check out the Suicide Squad. Perfect, perfect image. Y'all need to watch it. It's not even about whether the, the movie itself is good, but just it's like, understand my analogy, but I don't want to spoil something for someone. So it's like, it's why it doesn't work. It's why it doesn't work. It's why, and this is my personal opinion, I long for and miss and still deeply love that community that I was a part of because it was actually a local interpersonal community. Now, there was a lot of things that I'm not going to get into, but, but, but these concepts of what does it mean to be an accountable relationship with other human beings, building something together, that cannot happen at scale. Our neurological systems were wired for relationship, not for scale. I mean, Brene Brown, we've learned, you know, you know, you have to look at, you know, creationist ideas around the human body to understand that, right? right. And scale is inherently against relationship. Why are people in an age when we are the most connected, the most disconnected in social media. Because why are we all so fucking anxious? Because our physical bodies cannot contain the immensity of the information and the loss that we are experiencing all the time. Because our bodies were made for hyper-local, interpersonal, deep and longitudinal relationships. And the institution of the megachurch is inherently against even how, using Christian language, our divinely created body was made to function. Yeah. Unless, of course, you're talking about, like, a monster, <laughs> like the one in Suicide Squad. If we are talking about monsters, then yes, the megachurch is exactly what it was born to be. And it's... A, it, it's a distortion and just you know like a you know when you make a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy yeah, of a photocopy of a photocopy overblown yeah and like you said like we are we're made for this 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 hyper connection you can't do that at scale and then that that kind of connection it actually it actually threatens that thing because we can as long as we're all siloed like we can be in that system forever but like as soon as i meet you and then, all right, I'm just going to say it. I, I'm having this thought. And then you're like, I've actually had that thought too. As soon as people start making real connections, that's when it starts breaking down. And that's why, believe it or not, you know that saying from the, from the uh, it's both a saying and a meme that's been going around for a little bit, but it's also based on, on uh, a verse from scripture of like, you know, you can't stop congregating and whatever, whatever. And like, if you stop congregating, the church dies or some shit. So I actually really believe that, but not for the reasons that that meme has been going around. I believe that because it's part of also what we've experienced with COVID, right? We're in this digital connection. And I want to clarify, like, I think digital connection is incredible. I think that disabled people have spearheaded the knowledge of what it means to be forced by a fucking ableist society to not be able to communicate or connect with the outside world. And they've really wielded these tools 
to preserve their humanity and remain connected to people. And so inherently the tools are not bad. They, they make a way, but it's why it is so different when we come together as physical bodies in space, because there is a chemical interaction that we experience. There is an actual chemistry. There is the release of all of these different hormones. I mean, it's why when you get a dog, people's mental health improves, right? Because there is something about living creatures in relationship with one another that forces you to not feel like, oh, I'm, oh it's okay that 2% of people died of COVID. Oh, it's okay that... You know, oh, it's okay to put this human life in ransom for the sake of this thing. Because when we are in relationship with each other and in relationship with our body, when we are in relation, when I am in relationship to my human body, I understand what the implication of some of these decisions and some of these choices are. I am forced to look at you and say, well, you know what, Janice, I actually don't think you have the right to live. It's easy to say that shit on the internet. Are you going to sit in front of me? Are you going to go to a grieving person that experienced a miscarriage and in the moment of their bleeding and of their death and of their grief, you are going to come and tell them what they can and cannot be doing with their body? I don't think so. And so I do believe that the kind of heart behind that scripture verse around like, we have become so disconnected from our physical humanity and from the humanity of other people. And that disconnection is what has led us to this, these groupthink decisions right. from what's happening with COVID to what happens in the mega church. Oof. I have not been to churchy church in a while, but that, that's one of my favorite sermons of all time. You right here, right now. Like, <laughs> this, this is the kind of stuff we should have been hearing the whole time. Like this is this is what community is for. These are the things we should be talking about and learning about and and figuring out. So we did not even get to any questions, and we're way over time. So can I say one more thing? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm never going to stop you. So what's kind of, what's kind of wild to me about the scale thing. And I've really, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, even when I was at Hillsong, like it's, it's a thing that I've said kind of casually. And as the years go by, I'm like, Oh, this is like really getting clear to me. You know, the thing with institutions versus ecosystems is that in an ecosystem, the resources that it uses, it's for the nourishment of all of the members of that ecosystem. Like think about when we learn about like, you know, like when a decay in, in like science class in school, when they're like in a decaying tree, you know, like there's like all these bugs and they're like right. helping to break down stuff. And, you know, it's like, they're going to like make the soil better. And that's why in the Amazon, the trees are like the shit because all of the bugs, you know what I mean? You remember right. that? In an ecosystem that's healthy, a living ecosystem, the resources that are extracted, they're not like actually extracted. It's like true recycling. It's like right. everything, 
every resource that exists nourishes the ecosystem as a whole. And all of the individual members and players in that ecosystem survive in interdependence from one another. And those resources are always evolving and always create, helping to create the nourishment of the ecosystem. Institutions mimic ecosystems, but the reason why they are fundamentally different is because they extract the resources for the survival of the institution okay. by putting as ransom the individual members of that institution slash ecosystem for the survival of the ecosystem of the institution slash ecosystem, but not for the thriving of the all of the players within the ecosystem. That's how you okay. distinguish the difference between something that's living and something that's dead pretending to be alive. Ooh. And what happens with the church, and, I, and it was a question that kind of hit me. When Hillsong purchased the building in New York City, one of the things that kind of slammed me in the heart, and that's when I decided to stop tithing, is I have not been able to afford buying a home for myself in this city in the 16 years I've lived here. My husband is born and raised in New York City. His parents have been in New York City since the 70s, and they cannot afford to buy a place to live. And yet, the institution has been able to afford to buy a place that will continue to earn them money. To me, the way that you distinguish a healthy ecosystem from a dead ecosystem pretending to be alive is I want you to look at the conditions of the individual members of that ecosystem. Yep. If the individual members of that ecosystem are thriving, then your entire ecosystem is in balance and it is healthy. Right. And in a healthy ecosystem, things are born and things die. They do not exist forever. That is not how nature works. In unhealthy ecosystems pretending to be alive, they extract the resources from the individual members of the ecosystem for the survival of the whole, and they work towards their permanent and perpetual existence, which is how corporation law is written in the United States. The idea of a business is to create your perception of needing its product forever so that it could always turn out more product and more product. But that is not how nature works. And so, you know, I've been thinking about my mother, an immigrant woman, retired in her 60s, interviewing for a job that's going to pay her $14 an hour because she cannot live from her social security check after having over 20 years of work experience in that specific job that now she's only going to get paid $14 an hour for, that still has not been able to have a home of her own, a place for her to rest in her old age. And I think about all of the churches that we've been in that still have buildings that have additions and annexes and I don't know what the fuck that is still standing. And I think about that. And I think about how the church as an institution is no different than any corporation or business outside of the church. I mean, I run a nonprofit institution. I know. 
do I have all kinds of thoughts about the nonprofit structure, which by the way, let's just all remember that churches are nonprofit organizations in the United States. They are 501c3 entities, and I want to remind everyone where 501c3 entities as a type of business was born. It was born out of all of the wealth that was extracted from the labor of enslaved people in the United States and those rich white people that had a lot of leftover money and a lot of extra time that wanted to qualm their guilty conscience and use that money to then start doing things as they weakened the infrastructure of the government so that nonprofits became the ones that were filling the hole. Mm. And it's specifically in the arts, which is especially insidious in relationship to Hillsong's relationship to the arts, the arts is like the, the, the field day. It's like the, the playground of the rich. Yeah. It's a tax code. Nonprofit institutions exist so that there is a place where generational wealth born out of the slave trade can go so there is a tax write-off. That is why nonprofit institutions exist. That is why those of us that were tithing would get our little thing at the end of the year for our taxes. The difference is none of us had extra income to give away. The difference is that none of us had extra expendable income and generations of family. Well, let's say 80% of us, because mm-hmm. y'all know. And we were brainwashed into believing. And once again, giving free labor and once again giving of our lives because the labor is the money that we give and how do you earn money in the united states it's a measure money is a measure of the value of your time and of your expertise in the united states of america and so literally we have fed recreated a new system of free labor i'm not going to say it's slavery because i'm not going to dare compare the, the <laughs> levels of harm or somehow diminish what that experience mm-hmm. was for enslaved people. It's um, evolution mm-hmm. of that same system of free labor it, in the way in which white supremacy evolves like any unchecked virus, right? Yep. And I don't say that in the context of illness, I say that in the context of how it finds new ways to mutate. Mm -hmm. And so we have enslaved labor in the prison system. And so we have enslaved or not enslaved, but free labor in the context Mm -hmm. of the nonprofit world and in the context of all of our tithing and all of our volunteerism. And so you want to ask me if an institution is healthy, look at its members which is really what we're taught right in the Bible. You want to know the health of the tree, look at the fruit, right? Yep. Um, And look at, and look at them in context because somebody could have looked at us and Hillsong and be like, well, you're doing, you're doing fine, but look at, look at, look at our lives. I mean, what you said just about the building and the fact that that building is not even for the members of the church, like that it's the church office so that they can also rent space to other people that are not even church affiliate. Like that's a whole other thing, but like take that building away. Look at me, look at Ale, look at Carl Lentz, look at the people on the staff. So like, don't just say, is everybody doing okay? Are all boats rising here? Like is everybody 
thriving to the same degree because Hillsong banks a lot of its success, looking successful on how well the people at the top are doing. And like, that's the idea of, that's God's blessing, right? Look, look, look at all we've got. And so, yeah, look at, look at how our lives changed. How is my financial status when I came compared to when I left as compared to Carl Lentz's financial status when he came and when he left? Look, look at the whole. Don't just look at, I mean, yeah, they're, they're doing okay. And I mean, with Hillsong, like with many other churches, you know, Hillsong is a global church. If you were to add the revenue of every Hillsong church across the globe, let's call that Hillsong's GDP. It grosses more. Some of those individual campuses, let alone the aggregate, grosses more resources than entire countries. Yep. And then parts of entire continents. Yep. When we pretend that we are not, um, and you know, all of these things that I've said in conversation, I've like been saying these things. Like I've had these conversations in Connect Group, and I'm sure some people kind of roll their eyes sometimes. I've said them like casually when we're like on the side of the stage. <laughs> like these are not. And, and I, I'm not the originator of these concepts, but, and also these are things, these are my wonderings. you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are fallacious arguments that I'm making here and there, you know, shout out to my high school teachers teaching me about logical fallacies. We need to bring that back y'all. But I just, I feel like we forget to talk about scale and that's where we've been getting swindled because we've been taught in American Christianity to always enter things through the perspective of the individual. And so we've missed the context. We've missed the context of what has been around us in terms of the scale and therefore the harm and therefore the potential for harm. I mean, if you're going to manage the scale of a global church like Hillsong or some of the other global churches, because to me, this applies as much to Hillsong as to other churches. It's like, Mm -hmm. if you look at these global scales, Don't you dare say to me that you are not involved in politics. Don't you dare say to me that that is not up to you to decide, that that is not a decision for you to wield your opinion on, that that is not a thing that you should be held accountable for. When the amount of resources that you are building could literally change the entire course of entire nations of people. Absolutely fucking not. And so to me, this question of power and of scale and of our refusal to be honest with ourselves about the history and the, the root of all of these things, it's, it's, it's what's causing the harm that we're experiencing. And I, you know, there's days that I'm like, ah, it is what it is. There's days that I'm like, I feel crushed by the weight of those realizations. And my participation, you know, I added up all the money that I tied in, in my years of just Hillsong alone, not any other church. It would have been enough money for me to put a down payment for a home and pay a very low mortgage. Mm-hmm. But now instead I'm paying for a lot of therapy to undo what happened there and in all of the other places. And, and similar to you, like, it's interesting because to me, it's not like about Hillsong 
song proper either. I know for you, Janice, there is a very con concerted clarity on where you want to wield the things that you are learning and growing in. And we need you. For me, it hasn't even been about Hillsong itself. Like you, I, I made family there. And I don't regret the life that I gave. And yet, I understand that the harm is past, present, and the future. Yeah. The, the worst kind of yesterday, today, and forever. Like, yeah. Like you said, it's, it's, there's so much. And, and like you, I have moments when I'm like, man, like, is anything worth fighting for? Because it's all, it's too much. And then other days, yeah, it is what it is. But I just got to live my life and enjoy it and do what I can to undo what I did to, you know, I can't undo it, but my penance for my complicity. And so I'm all about tear the whole system down. Yeah, I'm focused on Hillsong because I know it. I have the knowledge that that is my resource, you know, here, tear this down. But then at the same time, very aware that even if Hillsong did burn down tomorrow, all those people that are still in it would just gravitate to the next mega church across the street, like the next yeah. harmful institution. So it's like, we have to, we have to get people to listen to things like this, to hear things like this and to change, change their minds to make different choices, like to realize power can only get, get at scale the way it is because of individuals. If we all collectively took our power away, took our resource away, like made that kind of choice, they would crumble. And so that's, that's the work I'm doing, like to go after the individuals. And I don't know, I don't know how many people are going to come to Jesus after yes. hearing this episode, but some church numbers, they're about to take some more hits. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, as painful as deconstruction has been, you know, I don't wish it on my worst enemy. And so I'm not in a place of it yet where I'm like, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm not retracting from it or avoiding it. But I'm not yet at a place in it that I'm like, that pain was worth it. Mm -hmm. um, it's very painful. It's also really disorienting. And I don't think we, we talk enough about the disorientation that, you know, I'm a grown person that is now questioning the most fundamental parts of my life and the decisions that I made that I thought were made and done with. Right. Um, you know, I remember when, I remember when I asked, was it when one of the Aussies came and I remember being like, why do they keep bringing these people? I, you know, there are some really incredible preachers and pastors and people here. And I remember I said in passing, and I, I don't think I knew what I was saying. And then, you know, again, years later, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, damn, y'all, these people are like Christopher Columbus. And, you know, I was right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's why I believe 
that the American church is the marketing firm of white supremacy because it's how we have convinced ourselves that it is okay to take people's land, to kill their children, to rape their women, to bring them diseases, to annihilate their languages and their customs, to later excavate them, say we discovered them, rebrand them, and sell them on IG. The only thing that has allowed us to feel okay about doing that, and I say us because I may be from South America, but I am a white person. Over there, white people in South America, we might speak a different language, but we wield the same powers of white supremacy as Anglo-speaking white people do here in, in, in the United States and in the English-speaking part of the Americas. We are no different. And if you're hearing this, and you're a Latino, and your skin is white, I need you to take a hard, long look at the history of where we come from. And while we may experience xenophobia in the United States, or because of our adjacency to black and brown people in our lives, it is not our skin color that is causing our harm or our pain. And back home, we are doing the same shit that Anglo-speaking white folk are doing in the United States. And so the harm that we have caused and that we and the mechanisms by which we've lied to ourselves to justify that harm has been the church. And why do you think that in South America every single town has a church in it? Because the colonizers established new cities on the on the remains of indigenous peoples by putting a church and then the building of government was what put right next to it. Look at New York City. How many mega beautiful churches are there near the financial center where Wall Street was established? We don't even have to go to the exotic places of Latin America, blah, 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 right? Quote, unquote, exotic. And so, you know, I am just kind of, as I learn more history, I learn more history about where I'm from, in Colombia, here, where I am. As I learn about indigenous peoples, in case anybody didn't know, if you're in New York City, the indigenous nations of New York State have a treaty where their land is supposed to be given back to them, but the state of New York does not recognize that treaty. You can call your assembly members today. In the year of our Lord, 2021, in New York City, East River Park is about to be destroyed. One of the last ecological strongholds against hurricanes in that part of the city. The comptroller said no to signing the contract, and then the mayor overturned it. The comptroller responded to the work of indigenous artists and indigenous people that are fighting for the saving of that park, but it was overturned by the mayor. Today, in the year of our Lord, 2021, colonization is still happening in your local neighborhood. Do you know who are the people that were the original stewards of that land and are they alive and where are they? There's so much history that we are not learning and it's why we are failing to make the connection between all of these different overlapping contexts of harm. It's why the church has the place that it has. I remember during Thanksgiving, um, 
Brian Houston, and this is how I, I uh, earned my uh, blocking stripes. Brian Houston wrote a tweet that said, I love Thanksgiving and the heart behind it. We've adopted Halloween and Valentine's Day in Australia, but Thanksgiving is the one celebration that focuses on everything that matters. Happy Thanksgiving, friends. And I responded, by everything that matters, do you mean the ongoing genocide and intentional erasure of indigenous peoples and the stealing of their lands, which was rebranded by white settler colonialists to justify their crimes as God's work? Pretty sure y'all do have that in Australia. And I just, when we started the conversation, Janice, you said that in other Judeo-Christian religions, there are traditions and rituals that are very discrete, specific, and replicable, mm -hmm. that are easily identifiable, that make up the canon of the traditions and help to explain those traditions. What has allowed Christianity in America to become what it's become is that our tradition is that of erasure, of colonization, of not being in relationship with our bodies, and not being in physical relationship with other people and of relinquishing our power. And that is the way in which we have justified our actions and betrayed ourselves. We do have rituals. It just has been important that we not learn about them because if we do, just like critical race theory, we will be forced to contend with the consequences of our silence and with what we have accepted as necessary in order for the survival and, and continued holding of power and resources of white folks in this country and in the Americas and around the world, really. And the way in which we have taught other races to replicate our model of colonization as is happening in Africa today. And it's, it's happened in Indonesia and in the Southeast Asian part of the world in response to other forms of colonization that was not happening by European settlers. We have taught the world how capitalism can be wielded to hoard power and resources. And it is spreading and there ain't no vaccine for it. Whew. All right. So there is there is no vaccine. But as as we finish up, we've given people a lot, a lot to think about. <laughs> what? Ah, I don't yeah. know what to do. <laughs> what what is a good step? What is something? Walk away from this conversation and do what? A woman that I really admire. She was the founder of Urban Bush Women. Her name is Jowale Willa Zolar. She's a dance maker, a visionary, and she does. I don't. I can't say if she does, but I know that Urban Bush Women has a a methodology around entering and exiting community, being in accountable relationship with community, work that they've done with the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond around 
undoing racism and how racism manifests itself. And one of the things I've learned from her, and I don't remember where she, and I'm going to paraphrase it from my memory. This is not quoted from what she said, but what I've learned from her is that because white supremacy's primary tool is to dehumanize us and disconnect us from our humanity via disconnection from our body and from each other, one of the most important things that we need to do in order to, to address white supremacy is to come into relationship with our humanity. You know, white folk are, are white folk in the US, I can't say this for other places, I can only speak for what I've experienced here, are often taught that they don't have culture. Their immigration story has been forgotten, intentionally so. And so they're, you know, which creates this dichotomy that like it's the brown and black and other non-white people that have cultures and languages and all these foods and musics and colors and all these things, right? Like, it's like, we have culture, but they don't. And that's not true. Every community and human being has culture. Everyone has an origin story and where things were passed down from. And so one of the things that she often tells white folks is that we have to come back into relationship with our bodies. We have to come back into relationship with our cultures, with our origin stories. We need other white people to show us kindness and love and to hold us to account. Because if we forget about our humanity, we will dehumanize other people as well. And so, so much of what that systemic work will require, it requires us entering back into relationship with ourselves, with our closest people in our lives, and going back to that interdependent, hyper-local relationship that emerges from healthy ecosystems. Now, you know, often that's like misconstrued by like, you know, the new age wellness industry on like, find yourself, eat, pray, love. No, I'm talking about really healing and being honest about how you benefit and contribute every day, every day from white supremacy. It's not if you, it's not when you, it's every day. Learning from black and brown folk, receiving love, care, affirmation, and checking from white folk. And doing that again and again and again because we've been rehearsing for our entire lifetime something else. And so now we're gonna have to rehearse that and engage in discomfort and engage in vulnerability. Shout out to Brene Brown. Because coming back into our humanity, and I'm not talking about nice, white lady, everything's fine things. I'm talking about honest, honest engagement with your humanity. And some of us haven't been taught that because we, we were taught to survive in many ways. And, and for white folk, it meant a rehearsal of being disconnected from their body. 
But that is where you start. You start with the self, but it's not about the individual. But that's where you start. I, that's what I've been working on. It's like the return of the prodigal. We gotta come home to our bodies, to the truth about our histories, and to the people in our lives. Ale, thank you so much. Thank you. This is, this is gonna change lives. This, this might be a season all by itself. <laughs> oh man, I mean. So that's that, and that is a wrap on the first chapter of this season. And I hope on some mega church commitments, because we all deserve better. We just do. I can't see any of it as anything other than toxic anymore, but I remember the indoctrination of thinking it's better to be a small part of something big. But it absolutely is not if that bigger thing is unhealthy. Bigger is not automatically better. As we are serving these institutions, we need to consider what they are serving us. What are you getting in exchange for your time, your money, your various types of labor? If Jesus paid it all, why are so many of the institutions that are using his name costing us so much? Anyway, I've heard this episode a few times at this point, and I still need to sit and think. So, Ale, thank you. Thank you for not seeing me and leaving me as the tool that I was when we first met. Thank you for being my friend and for always being so open, so honest, and so true. And thank you to you, listener. Thank you for joining us. If this has meant anything to you, sparked anything for you, or was just a general good time, please let us know. You can find me at God Has Not Given on the gram, and you can find Ale. I am in Queens, New York City. Very proud of that placement, physical placement. I am on Instagram, Ale underscore Duque underscore Sis. I am most often found in the work that I do at Dance NYC at www.dance.nyc. That's where you can find most of what I'm doing, even though it doesn't have my name on it. And that's it. And in conclusion, if you like and would like to support this podcast and or me as a person, please check out my Patreon and sign up to throw 5 or $10 a month my way. This season is off to a phenomenal start, and we're going to keep it going. On the next episode, we're going to be talking about pastoring, denominations, and credentials. Oh my. So until then, take care of you, be well, and I will talk to you soon. I am an E. I am an E-X. I am an And I don't believe in any other hell than ever being or belonging to me.